Okay, so last week we dealt with um, praying, and I personally thought it was a very edifying time, encouraging time. I felt like we were equipped better to pray, and um, it might, would, might be dangerous to ask if anyone's prayer life was changed or, or helped or aided. Um, we, we've got kind of a newish crowd than what we had last week, and so I, I don't think that we'll We'll uh, entertain that question per se, but um, tonight we're going to look at Bible study. And the reality is, is that the bread and butter of the Christian life is prayer and Bible study. Prayer and Bible study. Prayer and Bible. It's, that's not the only thing about the Christian life, and you can't even live the Christian life well if all you have is prayer and Bible study. But it is the bread and butter. It's the bread and butter. It is the foundation. And so... Phil, we wanted to start off with a question that, um, that everybody can join in tonight because I think it'll be a kind of a primer for us. Yeah. yeah, so we wanted to ask all of us to start tonight by discussing what is it that we believe about the Bible? Just answer that question. Yeah, there's, not, there's not just one answer to that question. There are a lot of answers to that question. And, and Ryan, as they discuss, because they're seeking to record tonight, um, why don't you just repeat on, on the mic what they say as you, as you write up on the board. And we're just going to try to fill this board right now with, with what is it that we believe about the Bible before we dig into studying it and, and just discussing how we incorporate it into our spiritual lives. So does anyone want to start us off? Okay, it is God's Word. Okay, it's infallible. Now, now Wayne, Wayne says that it's infallible. Um, Wayne, your understanding of the word infallible? Without error. Without error. Excellent. Now, if you notice, we'll just make one clarification, is that in its original form, it is completely without error. There is not one thing wrong with it. There is no fallacy. There is no problem. There is no lie. There is nothing wrong with it whatsoever with it. It is infallible. Okay, good. So the Bible, the Bible gives life, it, and it is life. It is life, and it gives life. Good. What kind of life, Carolyn? Abundant. Yes. Everything I need to know. Yes. That last phrase, um, everything I need to know, I think we can say the Bible is sufficient. Mm-hmm. That's right, it is. It is sufficient. The, I think one phrase that Christians have used for centuries it is, is that it is sufficient for life and for godliness. It's a biblical term. It is sufficient for life and for godliness. Okay? It's clear, like it's meaning can be known. Yes. Good. It is clear. The Bible is clear, which is interesting. Often theologians use the word perpiscuity. And I know you knew that, and the reason you didn't use that is because that word is not clear. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, what else is the Bible? It is. The Bible is instructions. Jesus himself said to obey all the things that I have commanded you. 
And what came out of Jesus' lips in His ministry ultimately is the Word of God. So it is instructions for life. Well, I, I think we need, to go, we need to go a little bit more on this. Yeah, let me ask a few of the kids yeah. to give some answers here. Uh, Braden, what, what's something that you know about the Bible? Just anything. It's all truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Abigail, what about you? What do you know about the Bible? What can we say? What do we believe about the Bible? Not sure. All right. I've, I'll let, me, let, me put, uh, let me put Carson on the spot because, Carson, this is more of like a, a feeling. When, when I say, um, Carson, go get your Bible. We're about to have a devotion. In your mind... In your mind, what is the Bible when you go and when you go and grab it? Okay, contains sixty-six books. <laughs> yeah, we did. We we said the Bible contains books written by men who were shepherds and fishermen. Good. What else do we believe about the Bible? Let's get a few more, just for the symmetry of the board here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It has, so it's inspired by God. It, has, it contains stories relatable to today. Mm. Yeah. It does. Let's see. So, kind of, you've been in the medical world, uh, Mary. As far as our our uh, condition, what is it when a when a doctor describes your condition? What's that called? What is is, is that called a diagnosis? So it, it offers a, a, a diagnosis to the human condition, doesn't it? So, yes. So it offers a diagnosis and cure to the human condition. The word is an external existence. Ryan, that sounds... Very theological to me. It does. What you, what I'm teaching Cody here. <laughs> yes. So um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what you're going for, but it is a true statement. It is, a, it is an objective reality. It's not subjective that just literally is inside of us and it's what we feel. It's actually words that have been conveyed and then put down on a page that are, that are objective in nature. So we can put that, Cody, we can put, we can say objective truth. Okay, Phil, what do you think about those? We, we need to yeah, yeah. go further. 
I, th I think that's a good list. Um, as, as you look at it, there's some practical features to it. It's, it's a book, and it contains 66 books. It was written by, by actual men over thousands of years and in different languages. Um, yet at the same time, God inspired those men. It's one cohesive story. It offers us everything we need for, for an abundant life with God and, and to understand who we are, what our problem is, what the cure is. Um, that, that is that's God's Word. That's what we believe about the Bible. And so we're going to delve into it now on just how do, we, how do we go about studying this book. And so uh, just like last week, we're going to spend some time just uh, kind of doing some discussion um, between the two of us. You're always free to chime in on that, but, but towards the end, we'll, we'll open it up to just more questions, any, anything on the table related to Bible reading. And so the first question we wanted to ask, because we both have experienced this, Ryan, as we, as we look at you know, you, you said today you looked at some um, discussions on Bible reading, and it just comes off very boring yeah. and very academic, and that's, that's not what we want our actual Bible reading to be like, and, and so what should our attitude be as we approach the Bible? Mm. When I'm getting ready to open my Bible in the morning, or when I'm getting ready to, to, to hear a sermon on Sunday morning, what, what should my attitude be at that moment? Yeah. A lot of times when I answer questions like this, Phil, I, I want to address, first of all, the negative. What should my attitude not be? What should my attitude not be? Well, I'm doing what I have to do in order to be a Christian. That, that should not be my attitude. Or now I'm going to go get um, the law that I need to live by in order to be saved. That should not be my attitude. My attitude should not be, well, I'm just doing what Christians are supposed to do so that I can then get on with my day. That should not be my attitude. I think my attitude should be, as I approach this word, that God has been gracious, He has been merciful to reveal Himself to me. He has been powerful to deliver this Word from century after century after century so that I can not only know what He said, but I can know Him. I can know God through this book. And so when then I open it up, He's given me an opportunity to get to know Him. And in knowing Him, I can have what what Carolyn uh, described as abundant life. I don't want minimalistic life. I don't want an average life. I don't want a normal life. I want a life with God. And so in order to have a life with God, I'm going to approach God's Word and let Him speak to me so I can know Him. Yeah. Let me, let me press that a little further then because I, I could take that and I could then come to my Bible in the morning, tomorrow morning, and say I want to, I want to know God. And in my heart, I could be coming to that with a sense of entitlement and with a sense of um, pride, with a sense of sufficiency, um, with a sense of my own rightness before God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so, so what are some of the kind of assumptions about ourselves that we tend to have that we need to not have when we, when we come to the Bible? What, what do we need to believe about ourselves as we come to the Bible so that, so that we benefit from what we actually do get to know God during that time. You know, the ironic thing about the Bible is that it prescribes, it describes our condition and then, and then it therefore gives us the kind of attitude that we need to have in approaching it. Because in the Bible, God says that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked who, who can know it. Uh, in the Bible, it says that man has fallen, rebelled against God, chose his own way, and therefore cast the world into sin. And so as I approach the Bible, I need to realize that 
upon reading it, I discover my condition. My, my, my condition is I don't know everything. I'm, I'm not sufficient. I'm insufficient. Who is, who is worthy of these things? So I, must re, I require the Spirit of God in order for me to be able to learn um, the knowledge of God. Yeah. And along those lines, let me ask you this. Um, why do we need Psalm 119? And, and by that, I mean all the requests in that chapter, open my eyes, let me see, let me behold. And then why do we do a pastoral prayer of illumination every Sunday before we hear the word? What, do we need to do those things? And, and I think that's integrally related to what we're talking about, the attitude we have as we approach God's word. Why do we need those things? Is it just something that we do that's kind of a magic trick to make sure that, that something happens during that time? What, what's going on in Psalm 119 with the psalmist there? And what's going on in our hearts as we do our pastoral prayer? And, and why is it important to, to have those moments as we approach God's Word? Yeah. So, um, like Psalm 119, 9 to 16, um, says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By gu- guarding it according to your word. And then he says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. What what the psalmist knew in Psalm 119 is what we need to know, is that, ladies and gentlemen, we are are hard-hearted, we are calloused, we are dull, we we are worldly, we are prideful, apart from the Word doing its work in us. Okay, Hebrews 4.12 says, for the, word of, uh, uh, for the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides between soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a, a, a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Okay, the Word of God does a piercing, uh, a, a heart, a surgery type of work in us every time we go to it with a humble heart. But if we don't go and we remove ourselves further and further from the Word, we become calloused, prideful, arrogant, self-reliant, and all of that. I'm trying to get to the issue here, Phil, that the further I separate myself from this Word in daily dependence on it, which means daily dependence on God, then I get a wrong idea about who I am and what I'm capable of. And I don't know if that kind of yeah, addresses de- it. Yeah, it definitely yeah. does. Um, we could go on that for a while, what should our attitude be, but, but we want to start there tonight because even as we approach the rest of tonight, we want our attitude to be that we want to know God better. We, we want to relate to Him more. We want to see His glory. We want to recognize how much we need the Bible, that, that it is literally bread to us, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it is our nourishment without it that we, we, we have no, no life to sustain us and and that we need to approach God in His Word with an essential element of humility before mm-hmm. God. That God gives grace to the humble. And, and you know, knowing God, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul says that knowledge puffs up. And so we don't want to have tonight be about knowing knowledge about God. So it's just kind of third-hand knowledge, second-hand knowledge that, that we can just list off to one another after tonight's over. We want tonight to equip us to know God relationally and to love him more with our lives and so let me interrupt because um Phil um I I appreciate any encouragement I ever get in my preaching but um I don't I don't ever I don't really ever get this mess this um this comment very much so I'll use it um good message today preacher um I don't get that a lot and I'm glad I don't get that a lot because I 
I'm, I don't really feel like that whether we're teaching on a Wednesday night or preaching on a Sunday morning that we're just giving a message. What we're doing is we're opening up the Bible so we can see God. And so really, all whoever stands up here is really just a conduit, a channel, so that we can know God better. And so the idea is, I saw God today. I met with God today. He spoke to me today. That, that should be our attitude and our approach, whether it's a sermon, a lesson, a Bible study on a Wednesday morning, no matter what it is that we're doing. The whole goal is we're interacting with this God who's revealed himself. Yeah. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to move into a, kind of a new question here. Um, and I think this will really launch us forward into the rest of tonight. We, we talk a lot about Christ-centeredness at Redeemer Church. And um, we, we believe that that's right, not because of something that we just decided to do, because we really like to talk about Christ here, mm-hmm. and, and that's just our preference. Yeah, right. We, we believe that this is what the Bible itself calls us to. And so... Tonight we're going to not just talk about Bible reading, but Christ-centered Bible reading. How, how do we read the Bible and study the Bible to see Christ in it? Mm. And, and the first question I want to ask along those lines is, is, why is it important to study and read the Bible in a Christ-centered way? Why is it important to look for Christ when we open up the Word of God? Yes. And, and we, we earlier just listed three reasons out, and, and so I'll just yeah. give you the floor on the first one here, okay. Ryan. Okay, so is, um, I, I was going to take you to Luke 24. Yes, that's, is that, is that, that okay? was the first one. Yeah. All right, if you have your Bibles, go to, go to Luke 24. I was meditating on Luke 24 earlier. And in Luke 24, Jesus has risen from the dead. People have gone to the tomb. They can't find him. And then there are some followers, some disciples who are walking along the way, and the resurrected Jesus is is walking alongside them, and they don't recognize Him. And so, round about verse 24, they say, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but Him they didn't see. So they're talking to Jesus about Jesus, because they don't know they're talking to Jesus. Okay? And so in verse 25... Jesus says to these disciples, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Now stop right there. Verse 25, Jesus calls these disciples what? Foolish ones. Foolish ones. And then notice that he calls them slow of what? Heart. The inability to see Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, and in particular in the Old Testament, is not an academic problem. It is not an intellectual problem. What kind of problem is it? It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. And we need to to understand that. Because when our heart truly beats for the glory of God, it will beat for the Son of God. And when our heart beats for the Son of God, you know who we're going to see in the Scriptures, no matter whether it's Genesis or Revelation? Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so then um, he says, you're, you're, you're slow of heart. And, and, and he says, you know, the prophets, the prophets have said these things. Now look at verse um, 27. And beginning with Moses and a couple of the prophets, he... That's not what he says. All. 
all the prophets. He interpreted to them, that word interpreted, it means to explain clearly and exactly. To explain clearly and exactly. So, let me read that again. He explained clearly and exactly to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So church, Phil said three or four times, Christ-centered Bible study. Christ-centered Bible reading. I want you to know that Redeemer Church does not employ a Christ-centered Bible study method because we just think that that's a really cool thing to do and it makes us fresh and, 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 and uh, kind of a, a hip type of church. We employ Christ-centered Bible study because that's the kind of Bible study that Jesus Christ Himself authorized. And so when we read Genesis, when we read the Song of Songs, when we read Proverbs, when we read 1 and 2 Samuel, we are indeed looking for Jesus Christ for, that, for the very reason that Jesus told us right there. Yeah. So... The first reason why it's important then to study the Bible in a Christ-centered way is because this is the way God designed the Bible. Mm -hmm. so, so we want to do with the Bible what God made the Bible to do. And we don't want to twist it to our own purposes. And to not see Christ in certain parts of Scripture would be to deny God's purpose for the Bible in our lives. Mm -hmm. so, so that is mm -hmm. the most important reason. But, but then we can ask the question, why did God design it that way? Um, what, what was God's purpose in making the whole Bible about Christ? Why didn't he just make this part about Christ and then this part about instructions and then this part about um, marriage? You know, why, didn't he, why didn't he make it more of a, a manual for living like a lot of Christians approach it? Or here's, here's the promise book in the Bible and here's the instruction book and here's the gospel part. Why did he do it this way? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and for that, I think there's just two, two more answers. And, and so the first one I'll, I'll just get at here is what we've already talked about, knowing, knowing God. Mm -hmm. The whole Bible, and, and really the entire Christian life, ultimately is about knowing God. Um, Jesus, Jesus himself said before he died on the cross, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. But then he also said right then, he said, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Mm -hmm. so, so eternal life is, is knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. And, and a few chapters earlier, he said to his to his disciples, that if you've seen him, then you've seen the Father. And he told the Pharisees earlier in the book that if you don't know him, you don't know the Father. And so if, if the Christian life is about knowing God, then it's also about knowing Christ. And only through knowing Christ can we know God. So, so what that tells me, Ryan, is that, is that for us to know God at all, whenever we open the Bible, we have to be knowing him through Christ. We, yeah. we, I don't know anything about the Father if I'm not understanding that through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, things I see about God there, I'm not truly understanding them if I'm not interpreting them through a gospel lens, through a lens that sees the revelation of God in Christ. And yes. Well, one of you said it over here about the, the many stories and the one story, is that when we read the Bible, what we're wanting to see is we're wanting to see how how our story that God is writing somehow fits into the big story that God is writing and, and has written and will ultimately bring, bring to fruition. All right, We're wanting to see our story in His story. You th think, about, think about your life. Your life is not 
an autobiography that will one day be written. Your life is merely a chapter in this large, massive biography that has Jesus Christ as the title. And how does your life fit into this grand story of redemption that is being, that is being told? That's how we're supposed to read. That's, and, and, and frankly, if you, guys, if you guys think about the way that I'm preaching right now through 2 Samuel, essentially the gospel is in every single sermon. Okay? And you can either think to yourself, well, Ryan knows that you can only be saved by the gospel, and so he, he brings the gospel into the sermon every single Sunday, even though we don't see the gospel in, in 1 and 2 Samuel. That would be a wrong conclusion to draw. Now, it's a reasonable one, but it would be wrong. Because from my perspective, I am consistently asking the question, okay, God, I know your big story is that you sent your son, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, that right now he's at your right hand, and that one day he's going to return and he's going to reign as king of kings, and the grand story of redemption will ultimately be told and we'll all be participating in it. And so given that, how does 2 Samuel 1 verses 1 through 27 fit into that story? That's how, I'm, that's how I'm reading it through the week and studying it. And then therefore, how does our story fit into that big story? Yeah. And, and so as we then approach the Bible, we, I, I, so I'm opening this up. I know that this is about Christ. I, I believe that because of Luke 24. I know that, that as I see Christ, I'm going to see God, and I'm going to know God better. I'm going to find my place in, in God's story for the world and his history and, and, and my purpose in his creation. Um, and as, so then as I see God and as I look for Christ and as I find my, myself in that story, um, what happens through that in my life? This is the third thing on our list here. Um, what, what goes on in my heart as I, as I discover Christ in the Bible? What does God do in me through that? Because I think this is, is, this is the most important reason that we need to see Christ in Scripture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Jamie. Sure. He saves you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jamie said God saves you. Yeah, yeah. the The gospel and seeing the personal work of Christ in Scripture, in the Word of God, is is what God uses to save us. It's it's through the Word of Christ that that anyone is saved. And and we we talk a lot about the Word of God in just general evangelical Christianity. But we we need to understand that that when someone like Paul says, I, "I preach the Word of God to you," he means the gospel. Right. And and that does include the entire Bible, but, but for Paul, those two aren't different things. The Word of God is, is the gospel that's found in all of Scripture, and, and that's what saves us. That, that, is, that is what 
moves us from death to life. That's what the Spirit uses to regenerate our hearts. And then, at that point, we just move on to new things, right? That, that, that's kind of the entry gate into Christianity, and then, and then we go on, right? Mm. Well, I want to draw on my man, uh, J.C. Ryle, lived 1816 to 1900 on, on that very, very note. L- listen to, to, uh, to J.C. Ryle, who was writing here probably in the late 1800s. He said, in every part of both testaments, Christ is to be found dimly and indistinctly at the beginning, more clearly and plainly in the middle, fully and completely at the end, but really and substantially everywhere. Christ's sacrifice and death for sinners and Christ's kingdom and future glory are the light we must bring to bear on any book of Scripture we read. Now listen, he says, Christ is the only key that will unlock many of the dark places of the Word. Some people complain that they do not understand the Bible. And the reason is very simple. They don't use the key. So if you think about the cross as a key, the cross is the key that unlocks every door, mysterious door of the Gospel. But but I want to finish some of Ryle's comments here. He says, I charge every reader of this message to ask himself frequently what the Bible is to him. Is it a Bible in which you have found nothing more than good moral precepts and sound advice? Or is it a Bible in which you have found Christ? Is it a Bible in which Christ is all? If not, I tell you plainly, you have used your Bible to very little purpose. You are like a man who studies the solar system and leaves out in his studies the sun which is the center of it all. It is no wonder if you find your Bible a dull book. I will tell you when Christ becomes your all, when you study the Bible, He is the center of your universe, so to speak. And then when that happens, He becomes the center of your life. When Christ is the center of your Bible study, Christ will become the center of your life. When Christ is on the periphery of your Bible study, then Christ will likely be on the periphery of your life. And when that happens, you begin to think wrong. And when you think wrong, you live wrong. Or you might live right on the outside, but you live right for the wrong reasons. And when you live right for the wrong reasons, you're living by the flesh and not by the power of the Spirit. So you guys see the connection here between the way you, you study the Bible and read the Bible and, and the rest of your life. This, this isn't just a, a subset over here that, that is important but, but not significant. This is, this is a controlling reality for your entire life. And I was going to read this verse that we wrap this discussion up on this question. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Before this verse, what, what Paul's been doing is, is contrasting the Old Covenant and con- contrasting the glory that Moses saw when he saw God on Mount Sinai. And you guys remember that? that I mean, how amazing would it have been to see what Moses saw? It was, it was just a glimpse of what is described as the Lord's back. We don't know what that really means, but then the Lord proclaimed his name and proclaimed all his attributes. And it said Moses' face was shining. It had to be covered, but it also said that that, that, that faded. And, and, and that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a permanent reality that, that Moses was able to take with him. And he had this veil. And then Paul uses this veil imagery to, to really to say that before Christ, it's like we're all under this veil and we can't see things clearly. 
But then he says, and, and we all now in the new covenant with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord mm-hmm. in the new covenant in Christ. What's happening to us as we behold the glory of the Lord in Christ? We're being transformed into the same image. Mm-hmm. We're being transformed into that glory yeah. from one degree of glory to another. Just, just one day at a time, as we see Christ, as we see God through Christ, we're getting a little bit more glorious every day. We're becoming a little bit more like God every day. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so as we, as we come to the Word, as the Spirit illumines the Word for us, helps us to see Jesus Christ, and therefore to see the glory of God in a way that, that Moses wished he could have seen. Yeah. We're becoming more like God. That's why it's so important to look for Christ in Scripture. And, and just looking at this group, I, I believe that most of us are just going to say amen to this, but I also would guess that, that there's some struggle as far as how do we actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, I agree with you, and I want to see Christ in the Bible, but, but there are some parts of Scripture that are difficult. Like, for instance, Ryan, okay. you're bald, and so I thought this would, this would be uh, helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, is, is Christ really here? Okay, okay. That's, that's my question. Is Christ really Leviticus here? Leviticus 13.40. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he's bald. He is clean. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness on the forehead. He is clean. But if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white diseased area, <laughs> do you see that on Ryan's forehead here? It is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine him, and if, and if the diseased swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease is on his head. Ryan, is Christ there? Wow. Have you preached a, <laughs> have you preached a sermon on that text before? I don't know if Christ is there, but I'm there. <laughs> um, okay, um, so... I just happened chose... to find that text right now, and yeah. I, I was very delighted that wow. I did. Wow, yeah. Uh, All right, so, so the reality... Uh, read the very, if you don't mind, read the last verse that you, that you just read. Can you find it? Yes. Okay. The last sentence is, the priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease is on his head. Okay. So th- those, were real, those were real issues that were, that were going on in that time because a- as much as you and I are s- just think that is so odd, there were certain peculiar physical attributes that people had in those days that made people unclean and unable to enter into the holy place. Now, however weird that sounds, it is reality. And so a priest had to declare people like that, potentially even like me, unclean, depending on what was going on at my, on my head. During or the forehead. Yes, or forehead. But Jesus comes as the perfect, clean offering and sacrifice and sheds himself for sheds his blood for us and rises from the dead and in doing so you know what he declares us clean so it doesn't matter whether we're bald or have a head full of hair it doesn't matter whether we have perfect skin or infected skin 
if we trust in Christ, the perfect high priest, then we're, de- we're declared clean. Now, that has a text in its own context that we would want to study um, significantly to understand the gravity of it. But just in that situation, completely drawing it um, by chance, but obviously providentially, um, um, I would say that ultimately Christ is there because that text points us to a better priest who can make a better declaration over our lives because we all have not only physical problems, we've got a huge spiritual problem that has to be dealt with. Yeah. Yeah, so what you just said is is a just kind of a initial response that, that is weighted with years of studying these types of things, yeah. right? Now, what would you say to someone who is just studying their Bible, they've not been to seminary, they've not, they've not read huge books on these things, and they're trying to read through Leviticus yeah. and, and make sense of this verse, and they want to see Christ, and they, mm-hmm. they're, they're in their devotions, and they're discouraged that, that they don't really feel like they're beholding the glory of God and these instructions on cleanness and uncleanness. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you give someone like that? Man, this is going to get really practical, and you're probably not heading in that direction, but like in a book like Leviticus... I would take a study Bible or a commentary or something and look and see how... Adam, if you don't mind, sit down. But um, I would take a commentary or something and see how Leviticus is broken down, uh, its structure. And I would read through Leviticus in accordance to its structure and not read it literally verse by verse or like five verses at a time, like five verses a day. I would take it more in larger chunks and understand what the kind of the larger story during this section is going on, and then I would begin asking myself the questions that I need to ask about how, how does this point me to Christ? How does this show me my need for Christ? Um, Mary, to put you on the spot, mine and your biggest problem, let's just consider ourselves not even belonging to Christ. We're just humans who have who've lived on the earth. It doesn't matter what time uh, we lived on the earth post-Adam. Mine and your biggest problem, Mary, is a problem of our what? It's our heart. It's our biggest problem. So when we go to Leviticus, then we want to to read it. We want to understand it in its context. But we've got to ask the question, how does this address the issue of their heart? How does it address the issue of my heart? And then how does Christ meet that, that problem? Every, I'm sure every week, you know, every week Leviticus is pointing that. It's the, the, the theme of, of Leviticus is holiness. And you could subtitle it, um, he has it and we don't. <laughs> and so how, how, do we, how do we get it if, if, if we don't have it? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good time to, for, just for us to mention something that we've discussed recently. We, we, we don't ever want to communicate that gospel truth from books like Leviticus is for professionals. That's right. It's for seminarians. It's for people with PhDs. We don't, if that's true, then God's word is not for all people. I mean, I mean, then, then there's, then there's a, um, caste system of Bible interpretation and, and only, only -hmm. the privileged can, can get the chance to really know what God's saying. Right. So, so we don't believe that. We don't want to communicate that, but let me interrupt because just to make the point, like, um, Amy, if you and Timmy study the Bible in the morning, um, Phil and I study the Bible in the morning together. Phil, Phil and I believe that we both 
can and should see the power of Christ and the person of Christ when we study. And we don't think that we're, we're some type of spiritually elite or literate, you know, higher literate people that can do that. It doesn't matter whether it's a mom and her son or whether it's two pastors. We both can see Christ and be encouraged by his personhood and his power. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the clarity of Scripture, the, the perspicuity of Scripture, right? That, that doctrine, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there's nothing hard in the Bible, that it's all just easy to understand. Pa- Peter himself, who, who, who at one point is talking about how God gave us Scripture and, and, it's, and it's clear, another point says Paul's letters are hard to understand. Yeah. That's in the Bible. There's a verse in the Bible that says that part of the Bible is difficult. Mm-hmm. So the Bible's very upfront about that. that mm-hmm. and, and so there's a few other threads to think about. God did give the church teachers and preachers for a reason, to equip people to study the Bible. We're not, we're not, we don't believe that teachers and preachers have the authority to tell us what the Bible says, and we want to be good Bereans, Acts 16, to, to look into the Word and test what they say, but we also want to receive instruction by those that God has gifted. And then this verse is the most important and helpful verse for me in thinking about this issue. In, in 1 Timothy, or it might have been 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, think over these things and the Lord will give you understanding. Think over these things, and the Lord will give you understanding. So I think a lot of times in, in evangelical circles, we believe illumination happens like inspiration right. or like revelation, that we just read it, and, we don't really, and we're just hoping that God just brings truth out of thin air into our minds. But that's not what Paul said to Timothy. He didn't say, just pray and wait and sit there until... Poof, you understand. He said, think over these things. And think of all that we could say falls into that word think. Study, learn, work, meditate, think over these things. And as you're doing that, and through that process, the Lord will give you understanding. And so we need to have a balance of realizing that, that no, Bible study is not just for people with PhDs, but yes, we can be better Bible studiers if we work at it. And if we invest in resources, and if we grow, and if we and if we seek to learn, and so there's there's a few resources that, that I just brought up here that I just want to kind of plug. I'm not getting any money from this or anything. This is just for you guys. But but one I'm holding right here is, is the Gospel Transformation Bible, mm-hmm. and and what this Bible does is is it from all, from every section of Scripture it explains that section in relation to redemptive history, in relation to the gospel. So right here in that section on, on Leviticus, it doesn't get into the baldness specifically, but it does say, when Jesus came, he addressed this ritual impurity in the most radical way. With a simple touch of his hand, he removed a ritually defiling disease from a man and made him clean. It was a sign of the much deeper cleansing he would accomplish for our sins. So, so that's, that's a helpful tool. It's not something that you just want to go to right away, and then stop studying. But as you, as you learn to think that way, then you're going to be less and less reliant on those types of notes, mm-hmm. right? And then the other resource, one that I'll plug now, is, is this book, The God Who Is There by D.A. Carson. And, and you can see Finding Your Place in God's Story. And essentially, this is uh, an overview of the Bible. Now, Carson says it's for unbelievers, but he's too smart and and he just cannot avoid theological language. So I think this is a good resource for the church um, because it is, it is somewhat theological but very good going through different 
parts of Scripture and showing how it all holds together, many stories as one story on Christ. And so those types of resources, if you invest in those, that's a good thing. And, and it's not, that's not saying you don't trust illumination. That's actually saying you believe that God does give illumination as we do what he said, think over these things. Uh, if, if you're not willing to think over these things, how much do you want right. to know? <laughs> right? But, right. But if you are willing to study and to invest, then, that, then that's a sign that you, you are desiring to see the glory of God. And so I want to encourage all of us, to, to wherever we are, to grow, just yeah. to grow from there, just to keep learning. And I think that that's, that's something that God blesses in our lives. Do you have anything to add? I do. That, I, I think um, while, while we don't have to be seminary professors, to understand and enjoy the Word of God, we do have to think. And for some reason, our culture, our culture has an aversion to thinking. And, and, and that creates, I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why we have such, uh, our culture is in significant trouble, whether it be politically or economically. We just are unwilling to think. So what we do is we just puppet, we parrot what we hear other people say. And there are really only a few real deep thinkers, whether it be politically or spiritually or, or what have you. And I just believe that we're made in the image of God, which means that we have something of the, the mind capacity of God to be able to understand and process and think big, deep thoughts about God that produce a transformed life. I just... I think when we think very little, then we're going to see very little transformation in the way that we live. Yeah. All right. I want to pick up the pace a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to skip some of these questions. But one question I do want to ask is, is if, if you could name t two or three kind of paradigms through which you can see Christ in Scripture, especially yeah. from the Old Testament, but also from the New, what, you know, the, mm. there, there's different ways that Scripture reveals Christ to us. Yeah. Most of the time, it's not Romans 3, 21 to 26. Right. It's, it's something different. And so what are some ways that as you seek to see Christ, that paradigms that you can have that, that God tends to reveal Christ through these ways to yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. So church, um, this is a form that I use, that I created, and that I use every single week when I prepare my sermons. Okay? It, it uh, has little bullets so that I can check off because I like my checklist. Um, and, and so this is the list. Pray. Read the text this many times. Study the text thoroughly. Observations, principles, applications. Big idea. Structure. Pray. Commentaries. Then I'll list the which ones I'm going to do. Books and articles. Pray. Write the sermon. Answer the questions below. Practice the sermon. Now under the prayer and under the prep questions, here, listen to three of the questions that I ask. Lord, this is the very first thing that I do when I start my sermon prep. Lord, please help me to understand the meaning of this text and how it points me to Jesus Christ. Help me understand the meaning of this text and how it points me to Jesus Christ. Well, I need to ask that question every time I study the Bible, not just when I'm preaching a sermon. And frankly, I think that we should ask that question every time, right? Yeah. Okay. The fourth question that I mean, the fourth thing that I pray is, Lord, please use the text. Please use the text to help me grasp and love the gospel so I can help Redeemer Church do the same. 
So, I, I want, so the gospel is the good news of salvation, and we see it from Genesis to Revelation. And so, Phil, you're asking me the question, how do I do that? How do I see the gospel in Leviticus? Well, I see the preparatory work for the gospel in Leviticus. And so he's preparing me. He's, he's causing me to see my need. Listen, listen, when Abraham believed God, he believed that from his seed there was going to be one who would bless all the nations of the earth. And so as I'm reading through Abraham, Genesis 15, 16, 17, I'm saying, how does this help me grasp and love the gospel? It helps me because God is paving the way for the seed of Abraham. Yeah, so what you're saying, let me put just in a kind of a paradigm phrase here. When you're reading the Bible, ask yourself, um, where am I in the story? Yeah. Where am I in the story? Um, Mary, you, you guys are about to finish up the Pentateuch, and, and so you started with Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. And then Genesis 3 is the fall. This is the very beginning of the Bible, very beginning of the story. And, and right there in the middle of Genesis 3, in the curse, what important verse is given? It's, it's called the first gospel, right? What, what, what am I referring to? Yeah, your seed shall crush the serpent's head. That's a promise in Genesis 3. When is that promise fulfilled? Is it in, later in Genesis? Is it in Exodus? Is it in Deuteronomy? But, but think about this. If you were in that day, and if you, if you were a believer in the Lord, and you had, especially if you had the Pentateuch, what, what are you doing before Christ as you're reading the Pentateuch? You're reading Genesis 3.15, and you're asking, where is this seed? Where is the seed? And so as you read the Bible, you can be asking that question when you're in the Old Testament. Where is the seed right now? In yeah. the next chapter, Abel offers up what the text calls a what? A sacrifice, a better sacrifice, right? He takes his first and he takes his best, and what does he do to it? He kills it. He slays it. You think, where, where did he get that idea? Because it was implanted because of Genesis chapter 3, yeah. that there was a sacrifice that was going to be necessary. And so he offers it up. And we're seeing right there in Genesis chapter 20, in Genesis chapter 4 that a better sacrifice is necessary for us to have life. Yeah. And so that, so one, where's the story? Second, um, look for pictures and, and, and shadows, and you might call types, um, like a better sacrifice. That, that's a picture of the, the better sacrifice. In, in the book of First and Second Samuel, we've been continually saying there's a greater David which means you can look at David's life and, and see this, this pattern there of this anointed king who has not yet actually been received as king, who is rejected by his people, suffering, undergoing unjust persecution, but then, then brought into victory, as we're going to see in Second Samuel. There's this pattern there that, that reveals Christ, and so you can look for those sorts of things. Now, though those are both helpful, and, and I would say probably um, they're everywhere, but they're not in every text. One thing that is in every text is um, the t there's a term that we've both learned from a book by Brian Chappell called the fallen condition focus. Mm -hmm. That's the best way I know how to say it, the fallen condition focus. But what it, essentially what, what it's saying is every text addresses a need. Every text addresses an aspect of our fallenness. Not necessarily always a sin. It might just be Death, brokenness. the brokenness yeah. of death. It might, it might be grief, but that's all an aspect of fallenness. Mm -hmm. Every text addresses an aspect of our fallenness. And, 
And so we should always be asking, what aspect of, of our fallenness does this text address? And then what does that do? That opens up the door to see how Christ meets that aspect of our fallenness. So, so most of the Old Testament works like this. The law addresses the aspect of our fallenness that we are lawbreakers, right? That's, that's, that's how the Mosaic law functions. And so, so as we read, again, read things like Leviticus, there's multiple ways to see Christ, but one is realizing how, how can we bridge this separation that we have between God and man? How can we get rid of all this uncleanness? That, how do we get rid of this fallen world? And that leads us to the gospel, yeah. right? So, so again, story, um, pattern, and, and fallenness. Th- those are three paradigms you can use as you study the Bible to, to, to look to Christ and look to see Christ. I want to say something in, in case I don't get the opportunity. Yeah. Because I do not want to be misunderstood. Y'all have heard me say this a few times, I think. But a text without a context is a proof text for a pretext. What is a pretext? That means you don't have the text yet. If you're going to have a text, you have to have the context of that text to understand it. So when I stand up on a Sunday morning and I start off by saying it's 1010 B.C. and we're in the land of the Philistines and David and his men are on the run, fugitives, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get us into the context. I don't run to Christ immediately and tell you guys all the wonder and beauty about Jesus and just gloss over everything that's in Samuel so that we can get to something in Mark 12 or 13. Because this is what I think. I think that the beauty of Christ and the nuances of Christ's person and His work are most clearly seen when we understand the text in its context first. And then when we see the problem, the fallenness, the brokenness, the the lamenting of David that he felt... And then we're left in a state of what are we going to do when our best friend dies? And then we go over to Jesus and we see Him. And we see Him as our faithful friend who will never lead us and He'll never die on us. Then we can appreciate Christ more than we would if we would have just glossed over chapter 1 and said, boy, isn't Jesus a great Savior? Yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, think about if this past Sunday, those of you who were here, Ryan just preached... Um, we need to lament death because death is, death is not good. And then at the end of the, ser- at the, end of the service, we say, um, believe the gospel. Here's what the gospel is. And we just left those two disconnected. That first Samuel message is going to leave us um, depressed, uninspired, unmotivated, unhelped, unchanged, um, yeah. more broken. Right? But, but when you can connect the gospel with the text in its meaning, in its actual meaning, then then the, the glory of God begins to shine through. And, and the gospel begins to, to get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? The gospel, you can, you can understand it when you're five years old, and then there's people writing PhDs on aspects of the gospel because it's so rich and so beautiful, and angels long to look into the gospel. Okay, so you're, you're just like fallen condition focus. I'm reading David, and man, he, he's, he's really struggling, and here he is, the anointed king. He's the anointed king, and his best friend has died and he can't do anything about it. The greater David had a best friend who died, and he did something about it. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And then then the greater David 
He didn't just lament over his friend. He's up on the cross and he's crying out in despair, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes on and probably recites all of Psalm 22, right? And he's lamenting, but then at the end of Psalm 22, you have the triumph of the resurrection and he does the same thing a few days later. Um, my, my point is, is we can actually see fallen condition focus. We can see types yeah. and shadows. We can see, and it's all legitimately coming from that one chapter that we studied in, in Samuel. And, and, and I'm just telling you, it's just, uh, it gives life. It gives hope. It gives joy. It doesn't leave us, it doesn't leave us empty yeah. and struggling. Yeah. All right. We got 20 minutes. And so I'm going to just open it up now and um, we can continue. Is any questions continuing on this discussion on, on just Christ-centeredness and, and, and what does that look like? How do you do that? But also just questions on, on Bible reading, just on, on having a game plan and, and, and what do you do with 66 books of the Bible? How, where do you even go and, and how do you make your way through that? And, and what does it look like to study your Bible um, on your own and in your church? And all those things are on the table. So just whatever would be helpful to you right now. Any questions you have that you think would help you grow? Um, let's just discuss it together. You can just uh, raise your hand, and, and we don't need to call on you necessarily. Just uh, speak up, and, and we'll spend 20 minutes discussing together. Phil, I'm, I'm glad I'm making an impact on you spiritually. You just used the term game plan right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, just a game plan. Yeah. All right. That's discipleship right there. That's right. So. That's a great question. Phil, do you want to answer that question? Well, do you mean at the same time? Is it, should, we, should you be doing it at the same time? Well, I think with um, maybe cross-referencing and things, some of that would happen when you look at the context anyway, right? Like yeah. That point. But I know um, when I became a believer, when I really sought out studying Scripture, I just kind of looked and said, well, I don't know what to do. No. So I would get one of those cool little plans that kind of mm-hmm. read the Bible in a year yeah. or two years or three years or whatever, and some of those plans, have you reading some Old Testament passages and then would pull out some New Testament passages mm-hmm. just to kind of rock you through both of them yeah. so that at the end of a period of time you've read the entire Bible. Yeah. So I'm thinking from, you know, age old enough to read through, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I actually want you to start on this, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got several thoughts in my mind. I'm trying to clarify. Well, but. we talked we talked about this a little bit earlier yeah. in the afternoon, Phil, in that, and, and I said this. I said, I don't think that a Christian needs to feel unspiritual if they don't read the Bible through in a year. I don't think that a Christian needs to feel unspiritual if um, they, they, they have a plan and ultimately their plan gets uh, diverted in their Bible study. This is what I think. I think that you choose a text and you read it genuinely and you read it thoroughly. Yeah. That, that's what I think. And so um, I, I don't think that you need to, to go out all gangbusters and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I just think you have a, a doable plan and you open up the Word with humility, like what we talked about earlier tonight, and we say, Lord, teach me your truth. Point me to Jesus Christ and help me be transformed one from one glory to the next. And as I do that, if I say, okay, 
Genesis has 50 chapters. We're going to read the book of Genesis in the month of August. And so it's going to require a couple chapters a day, about five or six or seven days. Uh, the rest of them we're going to read a chapter a day, and we're going to ask, ask those questions. And then after we study Genesis, then we're going to go to a New Testament book. We'll go to Matthew. And then after we finish Matthew, the next month, then we're going to go to another genre in the Old Testament. We'll go to history, and we'll read Samuel. And then we'll go back to an epistle. And then we'll go to poetry, and we'll read 31 chapters of Psalms in the, in the month of December. And then in January, we'll go back over and we'll study in great detail the book of Jude. And we'll pick every verse apart. We'll learn how to do word studies. And so we kind of can go back and forth and do different kinds of reading and different kinds of studying. Yes, to keep it fresh, to keep it interesting, and to learn new skills. Man, I just think that's been wonderful yeah. how we've gone from like the Gospel of Mark to Colossians, to Proverbs, to Samuel. And in every one of those, God has been pointing us to His Son and has been giving us life in those. Yeah. It's a great question, yeah. Jamie. I'll, I'll say this, um, just quick follow-up on it. Like I, For school, especially in, in undergrad, I, I had to read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, New, New Testament twice, and, and it, it was just a task to do. And... And now I'm reading through some sections that I know I've read, and it's like I've never seen them yeah, before. Yeah, you're, you're rediscovering you know? it. Well, I don't think I ever discovered it the first time because, <laughs> because it was just a assignment, you yeah. know, and, and the goal was just get this done, yeah. finish it, and it wasn't, to, it, it wasn't to get genuine and thorough with mm -hmm. it. And so, you know, I, and I was thinking about this today, especially when it comes to Bible study. We love to dig into the text and to, and to read every word and to find out the meaning um, one, I don't know if it's actually possible to do it that thoroughly for, for an entire, entire life as far as a devotional life is concerned. Maybe if, if you are a full-time professor and you're writing a commentary on the Bible, you'd, you'd find time to do that. Even then, I don't know how they do that. Mm -hmm. But um, I, don't think that God, I don't think that God's desire for us is to have thoroughly studied every book of the Bible by the end of our lives. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he's keeping a checklist saying that... Have, has, has Phil studied this book yet? Mm -hmm. Like he studied Romans a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think God wants us to know his whole word. You know, Paul used the phrase, I declare to you the whole counsel of God. Mm -hmm. And so we need to find ways to understand the Bible as a whole. Yeah. And then we need to understand as, as best as we can, thoroughly and genuinely, the parts. And so um, reading for breadth mm -hmm. and then for depth. That's right. Um, ba balance that in your life. Um, find ways to, to go back and forth. Maybe for a month, you're, gonna just, you're just going to read three or four chapters a day and, and try to get through Isaiah, um, mm -hmm. perhaps, and, and just read it. Read it, not trying to answer every question you have, but just for, for general understanding. Um, or read a book like this. I think that you could really benefit from reading a book like this prayerfully, opening your Bible as you read, um, and letting that be your devo devotional time for the day for breadth. And then go to 1 Samuel and, and dig into what we studied that week and, and ask questions and find answers and, and find that balance in your spiritual Well, life. I think that's excellent. And Mary, I don't want to um, belittle the, the genuine um, power of the book of Leviticus, but I will tell you, like with the book of Leviticus, I would, I would be inclined to probably sit down for two and a half hours and read through that whole book. And I'd take, take my little notebook here and fill up two, two pages of it in response to that and say, Lord, 
thank you, thank you for revealing that truth to me, my need for Christ. And then the next, the next week or day, I might start studying the book of Galatians and literally take it two or three verses at a time. Wayne? And Carl after that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's right. How, how do we best go about yeah. uh, you know, when we're at that tough spot? Yeah. Wondering how do we, uh, what, what's the relevance here? Oh, that's so yeah. good, Wayne. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that you, you bring up the, the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture. There are passages in the Bible that if you just took that one passage, that one statement, and built your entire theology on your understanding of that one statement, you would become a heretic. The man Christ Jesus. Yes. That's a phrase in Scripture. Yes. Jesus is just a man. Yeah, and so Arius goes on, and he yeah. builds his entire theology on that, and he was a heretic, and almost led, you know, well, did lead hundreds and thousands of people down that road. And so Wayne says, you know, what, what we have to do, and he's exactly right, is we have to look at the whole of Scripture and let the whole of Scripture inform yeah. that one statement so that we can have a clearer, fuller understanding of, of that statement. Yeah. At the same time, um, I think that I can speak this for both of us, that when we started the Bible, um, we, we try not to get outside of the text we're in until we really feel like it's time to do that, until we, yeah. we have to, essentially. Yeah. You know, to, like, like we, we could, every week in First Samuel, as we'd read oh, on yeah. Monday mornings, just go all over the place and start looking at all these New Testament verses and, and all these older verses that kind of link the Bible together and, and find all these cross-references. And, and, and some of you probably have cross-reference Bibles, and at least in the margin, shows all the different cross-references that you could get to in Scripture. But um, that's probably not the most helpful way to regularly study your Bibles, not to look at the, the A and the B and the C and go to every verse and try to put it all together that way. It's, it's to read that paragraph in its context, to understand that paragraph as best as you can, to respond to that paragraph as best you can, and then to begin to think about the wider implications. So you have your text, you have your immediate context, and then you have your larger, maybe your Old Testament context, and you have your whole Bible context. But But to go in order from, from where you are and then progressively outward instead of trying to immediately draw all those connections and cross-references that, that I think jumbles the clear meaning in our minds sometimes. Yeah. And, and it also prevents us from, from just hearing the clear meaning. It, it, it leads us to other good thoughts, but not the thought that's meant to be intended right here. Mm -hmm. That's good. Carl. Saul and David and 
Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd go several, I'd just read, read that part several days ahead until mm -hmm. I had the whole story. Mm -hmm. And then I would go back and try to pick it back up. Yeah. And, uh, I like it much better the way he did it. A book at a time. Or oh, yeah. At least the thoughts at a time. And most Bibles are divided up that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is good. And I, I want to draw a connection on some of this, y'all. I love study Bibles. I, I think they're a, a, a huge blessing to the church of Jesus Christ. And I have, I can't, even, I can't tell you how many study Bibles I have. And I have the Gospel Transformation Bible. But when I was talking about thinking, um, I just want you to know that that when, like when Phil and I study, we actually have the same Bible, and, and it doesn't have any notes in it. It doesn't even really use very many cross-references, does it, Phil? It doesn't even really use cross-references. And it's not, we're not saying, oh, we don't need anybody's help. Oh, we don't need cross-references. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that we believe that we have the Spirit of God, and we know that this is the Word of God. And so we've got the Spirit of God and the Word of God working together. What does He want to teach us now? And then as we study that, and we think, and we labor together as we're studying as two friends, it is just amazing and life-giving and joyful to discover it. And then it is hugely confidence-building when you open up the Gospel Transformation Bible some hours later, and they saw the same thing that we saw. Or we got confirmed in something else. But if we just immediately go to the comments and we just immediately go to these things, I feel like we're short-circuiting what God wants to do, not in our mind necessarily, but where? In our heart. Because He wants us to wrestle. He wants us to wrestle. Jeremy. Yeah, that's okay that's, with me. That's great. Mm -hmm. I like winning, so yeah. I'll do that on chess. But, uh, <laughs> no, that's a perfect yeah. illustration. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it, it, it definitely short circuits your ability to think through mm -hmm. these things for yourself. Same. That's, that's why I said with the Gospel Trans Transformation Bible, use it with the goal of not having to use it so much. Learn how to think. To think. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can do it more on your own. Um, Ron, I, I want to yeah. close with a question for yeah. us. I think this would be our last one. Um, Part of this is, is just from, from our life experience these last 15 months with Lucy in the picture. Um, we both believe, Candace and I, and I, and I, I bet everyone here would say amen to this, that, that God's Word and being with God through His Word and prayer is absolutely essential to the Christian life. Yeah. It, it's, it's not optional. Mm -hmm. And, and in, a, in a real sense, we need it every day. Mm-hmm. In a significant way, just like we need food every day. Yeah. Um, yet, life comes, babies come, schedules come. Um, we need other things. We need sleep. We need, we need just rest. Um, what, what is your advice to all of us for balancing our understanding of the necessity of this to pursue it because it's necessary, but to... Um, not 
I guess the word is um, get feel guilty over missing a day mm-hmm. um, or to end up just giving up altogether because it just seems too hard to, to make it work. Does that yeah. make sense? That, yeah, that whole situation. Well, I think, number one, church, that there is a distinction to be made between not desiring the Word of God and um, having life circumstances that don't allow for you to spend as much time in the Word of God. There's a distinction between you. When I was in seminary and didn't have children yet, I think we had to read through the Bible three times in one semester. I was reading the Bible a lot. I had that time. I can't read through the Bible three times in one semester. I've got a wife and three boys and a church and do all, all of these things. I, 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 I couldn't do that reasonably and still love my family really well. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not unspiritual, and I don't feel unspiritual because I can't read through it three times in one semester. Um, life circumstances, but now what I would tell you is that if life circumstances produce little reading of God's Word and then hardly any reading of God's Word, you know what happens to my heart? I start feeling like I don't really even need God's Word. And so I've got to scratch and fight and claw to get my eyes in front of God's Word and my heart underneath God's Word however possible. That's what I've got to do. And so if it's us, if it's us going to my in-laws, driving down the road, and there's 12 minutes, honey, let me go get to the car. I'm, I'm going to go grab our Bible, and we're going to read Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit and everything, before we get there. I, well, let's, you know, it is, it's, it's scratching, fighting, and clawing to get underneath God's Word. And it might not be a very good study. It might, you might not even get huge insights. But what are you doing? You, we're saying, God, life is found here, and we want life, not death. That's good. I, I think um, assume that God's not calling you to do something impossible. Um, God's, God's not going to give you something to do or to give you 50 things to do, and it's going to be impossible to actually do those things. Whatever is necessary, he's going to provide a way for us to be faithful in that. And so, it, like I said, scratching and inclined to find that way, making the adjustments. And I think, based on what you're saying, adjusting actually how you might go about it, too. Yeah. It might not be an hour and a half Bible study prayer time, you know, in the morning, at, you know, when you get up first thing. It might not be that, even though it, it used to be and you loved it that way, you know, and, and we both experienced that in, in, in our situation with our jobs right now and a baby, but I know for everyone has different circumstances, and and I, I just, we've been learning this, and I would hate for anyone to see all this, want it, but then just say, but we're just too busy, we can't do it. God's, God will help you find that time to do it, but it is, we will both say, Absolutely essential yeah. to behold the glory of God through Christ in His Word as much as you can in yeah. your life. And so, mm. um, and this is, uh, we could keep going on a lot of those things. Again, I, I'd recommend these resources. And one more that I'll plug just as we close very practical 40 questions about interpreting the Bible. A guy named Robert Plummer, 40 questions about interpreting the Bible. Um, there's some questions in here, like just about what is the Bible. Um, the original manuscripts, and, and where did we get our Bibles, and then questions about how do we interpret different parts of Scripture, and why do people disagree on different parts of Scripture? Just a lot of good, helpful things in there. Um, that's a great place to, to start growing as well. So. I want to make a clarification, because I think they're recording this. Um, 
I remember I took Old Testament 1, Old Testament 2, New Testament, and I think we read through three times each, but that wasn't all one semester. Yeah. Thank you so, for your honesty, Ryan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. just thinking about that. How it's could I those, have read the Bible three times in four months? It's one of the stories um, that grows over time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, the Master's Seminary grads had to read through the Bible three times in a week. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, that's right. Yeah. Walking seven miles uphill in the snow both ways. Yeah. All right. Well, Wayne, would you be willing to close our time tonight? Just pray for um, all of this to be something that the Lord uses to to help our hearts and and just um, to be able to work into our lives as a church.